and we're reading Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at verse 12. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. Thank you very much, Penny. And today I want to speak about the heart of worship. What does it mean to be engaged with your heart in serving and also in adoring the Lord? Both service of God, serving the Lord in your life in all sorts of ways, and also bowing down in adoration before him are healthy and part of a godly, well-put-together Christian life. And they both need to be uh, cultivated, really, in each of our lives. Um, Serving God is an all-of-life, all-encompassing process. So everything that we can do uh, in, in Christ is serving the Lord, whether it's in our workplace or in our relationships, um, in, our, in, in our home, in our friendships, just by ourselves. Everything can be understood as and lived out as serving the Lord. Bowing down, however, is um, usually understood as a particular point of time. It's something happens at a moment in response to the, the sense of the presence of God. And if you look at the many times in the New Testament where the verb proskuneo, to bow down, is used, you'll find it's, it's an encounter with the presence of God or an awareness of the holiness of God and the presence of the holiness of God. For example, the Magi bowing down before the infant Jesus when they visit him. Or another example is uh, after the resurrection when the disciples see the risen Lord they bow down and grab hold of his feet. Um, or that uh, striking description in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says that if an unbeliever comes into the church and someone is prophesying, they hear the secrets of their heart revealed and they, he says they bow down and worship the living God and they say that God is truly among you. God is present here. So the person has a sense of the presence of God and they find themselves flat on their face in a heartfelt response to the presence of the living God. So both these aspects of worship, that is serving God in all that we do, and also um, the inclination of the heart to adore God, to bow down and respond to the presence of the living God, are an important part of our, 
our spiritual life and our walk together. And as a way uh, into just opening this up a little bit more with you, I wanted to reflect with you on two words that we use in our website to describe Oak Tree Anglican. Um, These two words are charismatic and evangelical. And uh, they sort of sit there on the website and they pop up in different places, but I almost never talk about them. And that's partly because I distrust labels and I'm not very comfortable with them. But let me just uh, go over these two terms. Um, The word evangelical, as I understand it, means that we are committed to calling people to personal faith for salvation through presenting the gospel of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. So the presentation of the gospel of Jesus, uh, the good news that we have salvation through his death and resurrection, is absolutely central to who we are and what we do. We will always be proclaiming Christ crucified and risen. And... um, The second part of that label evangelical, which sort of goes back to John Wesley and the Wesleyan revival, is that we're committed to the authority of the Word of God, the authority of Scripture. And that's a a very important um, distinctive in in our age when many people in different ways are prioritizing their own experience, which should be taken into account, but it's not the be-all and end-all of what we should believe. We, We stand on the Word of God. So when we say evangelical, it means for me those two things in particular. And that is actually part of the origins and the ethos of this church as well. This church was founded by a group of evangelical Christians um, who had come, some of them, from the Clapham sect. So among them was William Wilberforce's uh, nephew, Sir George Stephen, and there were others from that family as well. So from the very beginning, this congregation had an evangelical ethos in uh, in that sense. We are also, uh, uh, and and by the way, that that evangelical ethos had a, from the very beginning, a commitment to global mission, which is why we have the words of the Great uh, Commission over the arch of the church here. And this church did that. It sent out a lot of missionaries, uh, including the first missionaries to go out from Australia, uh, native-born missionaries. Um, The other label on the website is charismatic. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? Some people have visions of bishops dancing down aisles or something when they hear a word like that, or hands waving in the air, um, uh, even perhaps hanging from the rafters if you could reach them. Um, For me, and I've thought about this for so long in my life, a charismatic worldview is really about welcoming and prioritizing the powerful, life-changing presence of God, the Holy Spirit. It's an openness to the presence of God and an inviting and a welcoming of the presence of God in what we do. Now, you might say, well, isn't that, doesn't everyone have that view? Well, not necessarily. Um, I have gained a lot of benefit reading John Calvin's Institutes and his uh, analyses of Scripture and theology, but he had a lot of problem with this idea that God could be present. And if you read his commentary, his descriptions of uh, things like the burning bush in, in, um, when Moses encounters the Lord and other places in the Bible where it speaks about God being present, John Calvin would say, well, of course God is, you know, above all. He's transcendent, so he can't be present. It's logically impossible. So what does it mean when the Bible says that he's present? Well, that's God speaking baby talk to us. He's talking our language so we can understand, but it's not actually what happens. It's a, as if it was the case, this is the language he's using. And it's really striking when you read it. He really struggled with um, the language in the Bible that speaks of the presence of God. And it's everywhere, of course. You know, God walks in the garden in the Adam, in, in, with Adam and Eve. And then God, it says, the glory of the Lord is enthroned above the cherubim in the temple. And 
God goes before the Israelites. And Moses has this uh, argument with God where God says, I'll send an angel with you. He says, I'm not going anywhere with no angel. I, I won't go there unless you come personally with us. And then Jesus, of course, is God with us, present with us. The incarnation is dependent upon the idea of a God who shows up. And then the sending of the Holy Spirit is the same. And the apostles had this perspective. So uh, Paul speaks about, you know, someone falling down when they, and they say, God is truly among you. It's incredibly biblical. The God of the Bible is the God who shows up physically, present with us in our circumstances. And in a life-changing way, when God is present... Uh, and it's a mystery we can't really understand, but it's real, lives are changed. So when we train our, um, our team for the prayer ministry, at, say at the healing services, those people who pray are trained to be attuned to and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're listening as much as speaking, and they're ministering out of an awareness of the presence of God. Uh, when we preach, we, we, we encourage ourselves to be aware that God is speaking and He's present, and we're in the presence of God. When we're worshiping, the reason why we call singing worship is because we have an awareness of God present among us. And we're worshiping the present God, the, the present uh, living God in our midst. We're not just worshiping a God who's far off, you know, zeons, eons of light years away. We're worshiping the Lord Jesus who is here, walking among us. And that's why Jesus said, you know, whenever two or three are there, I'm, I'm there in their midst. And so this is actually central to our whole ethos, and people sometimes think of charismatic as being associated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the charism is, they're sort of gracelets, gifts of grace in the New Testament. And the thing about those manifestations of the Spirit is that they're, as Paul calls them, they're manifestations of the presence of God. It's when God is present in the believer and in the gathered company that those things like prophecy or, or praying or speaking in other languages or healings or, or, or other manifestations of the power of God are experienced because God is showing up. We just had an experience, um, a beautiful thing happened at Emmanuel uh, just uh, two weeks ago. Um, one of the women there has had a very traumatic history. She's been imprisoned in Iran. She's tortured, very broken, and um, in and out of psychiatric care. And two weeks ago, she was delivered of a demon. Uh, there was some teaching and training happening. God was present in the meeting. And this demon began to be distressed, upset about what was happening. And she began to manifest. I was not there, but the team knew what to do. They'd been trained. And they told the demon to go. And I must say, one of the greatest joys is to see her over the last two weeks at church. She's just radiant. She's just so beautiful and so released and free from something that she said, I, I had that voice in my head since I was a girl. And she's just, just bursting over and over with joy. And I said, Isa Zendigi, Jesus is alive. She said, yes, he is. <laughs> he is alive, you know. Um, and that is a, actually a ministry of the presence of God. The reason why it's, it's, say, in the Anglican church, it's people on the charismatic end of church churchiness uh, that are more involved in deliverance ministry is because if you have a theology of the presence of God showing up and you seek the presence of God, then you will also sometimes see confrontations with evil. And uh, actually, there was a time I was listed with the diocese as the diocesan exorcist. It's not something I advertise. 
And I actually asked them to take me off their list, and they've got no one left. And I said, actually, what's needed is to train the churches and the pastors in this ministry. Um, but actually, what's happened is, increasingly, the people that are in that ministry are people with this worldview, a worldview that God shows up personally. So that's um, a bit of an excursion, but I'm just trying to explain who we are and how this fits together. So we're welcoming the, the life-changing presence of the living God, and that naturally leads to adoration. It leads to casting down your crown. It leads to falling flat on your face when you have a sense that the Lord is present and you see one, someone being transformed by the power of the living God. It causes you to worship in the sense of proskuneo, in the sense of bowing down. Now, I want to just um, emphasize to you some things about the heart and worship. Worship is about the heart. It's also about the body and the mind and the whole soul, but it's also about the heart. It's a love response. Adoration is a heartfelt response to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I say charismatic because I mean the particular presence of the Holy Spirit, the particular presence of the Lord Jesus or of the Father there. And actually, the point I want to make in, 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 in coming to this passage from Deuteronomy 10, is that all of life's service, serving God in all we do, is also a matter of the heart. It arises out of a transformed heart. So both adoration, bowing down, and also serving God in all you do, is something that comes out of your heart. It's a heartfelt response. So let's have a look at this passage from Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the last in the five books of the Pentateuch, or the Torah. And it's actually a covenant, it's a record of a covenant renewal ceremony. So just before the Israelites are going to go into the land of Canaan and cross the Jordan, Moses has a last event with them, where they agree to renew the covenant that was given to them at Mount Sinai. And they agree to keep uh, the law. And they say, yes, we will, we will keep the covenant. And so Deuteronomy is a rehearsal or a renewal ceremony. And as part of that, you have this um, beautiful summary in chapter 10 of what the Lord requires of Israel. Um, many of you may have come across this book by Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love, which was a publishing sensation. Uh, her, her memoirs across I Italy, uh, India, and Indonesia. Well, this passage in Deuteronomy 10 asks four things of us, not three, and they are to fear the Lord, to walk in his way, to love God, and to serve God. So that's, what does, what does the Lord your God require of you? Deuteronomy 10, 12. Only to fear the Lord your God, that is to uh, respect him, to honor him, to realize that he has a great authority, that there are consequences if we walk away from him, to acknowledge his sovereignty in our life, uh, to walk in all his ways, that's a day-by-day -day choice, to, to make the, the, the choices that you have uh, be aligned with God's purposes, to love him, and to serve the Lord, that's that word, serve or worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, keeping the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I'm commanding you today for your well-being. That's referring to the whole shebang, all of the covenant principles that are being passed on to them. And I really just wanted to ask you to focus on with all your heart and all your soul. And then... Um, Deuteronomy goes on to explain, to put that call upon your heart into a, its bigger context, which is who is God. And what, who God is, is that 
the heavens, and the heaven of heavens, as it says, belongs to God, and the earth belongs to God, and God owns everything in the universe, but God, it says, the Lord, in verse 15, set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants, after them out of all the peoples as it is today. So he says, you know, you need to understand that in, in, in asking for a heartfelt commitment from you, God has placed his heart on you, like he's, he loves you, he's chosen you. And those of us in Christ, we actually claim that inheritance too, through Christ, because we are, as Paul writes, grafted into Israel, because the, the promise of favor and the love of God that was given to the people of God, to the Israelites, is our promise as well, through Christ. So this is a promise to us. So we are called upon, through the Word of God, to be devoted to God and to serve Him with all our heart and, and all our soul, in response to the fact that He has set His heart on us, that He has called us. And then um, he, he explains, or the passage explains, uh, what does it actually mean to walk in the way of the Lord? Well, it means to reflect the heart of God. So the character of God, the, n- the nature of God, is meant to be lived out in our lives. I'm really excited that the youth are going to be looking at um, the, uh, the names of God, which is really the character of God in these coming weeks. And that's a great foundation for prayer, for worship, and also for living. And he explains uh, something of the heart of God to the Israelites. And you have this contrast because he says, I love you, you are my people, and because of that I ask for a heartfelt response. But then he said, you need to reflect those, that, that, my values of love and grace too in your life. And so what he says is, um, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who's not partial and takes no bribe, and who executes justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You will fear the Lord your God. It's really interesting that in calling for the people of God to have a heartfelt devotion and a serving of God, he reminds them of his character that he loves those who are on the margins, those who are, are vulnerable. He loves the strangers, the, the, the sojourners from other places, those who don't have food and clothing. And he says, you were strangers and God loved you. He cared for you. He rescued you. So you need to, in serving me with all that you are, with all your soul and heart, you need to live out those values yourself as well. And that's a, a really a corporate call to them to worship the Lord not just as individuals in serving God, but also as a nation to make a difference, to be changed by the grace and the power and the character of God in their lives. He is your praise. He is your God. He has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. So what I want to emphasize um, with you is that we are called to serve the Lord with all our heart. We are called to adore the Lord with all our heart as well. And this response to God that we're called to do is something that needs to go into the very depths of our being and come out of our very core. Now, if you're anything like me at all, you will know that there are areas of your life that are not completely surrendered. There are things in your life that you're working at. You're a work in progress. I know that's the case for me. It's an ongoing journey. And um, I'm still challenged by my uh, unruliness and tendency to go my own way sometimes. 
And the process of being conformed to the character of God, to the heart of God for me, is an ongoing process. And, you know, there's this prayer is, Lord, change my heart. Give me a heart to love you and to serve you, to look at the world with your, through your eyes, to have a heart for justice in the public sphere as you do, Lord, to love others as you love them too, Lord, to, to have a passion for your ways because you've had a passion for me and has called me. And so this, this call to worship is a call not only on the spur of the moment when we know the presence of God is in the house, to fall down on our face, to adore him, to be willing outrageously to worship him. It's also a call in a very deep-seated way for our hearts to be aligned with the heart of God, for our hearts to be aligned with his love and his power and his grace. And that's really a process, a lifelong process of letting the Holy Spirit, the searchlight of the Holy Spirit be at work within you, bringing your life before him so that you see how you can better serve God and work before the Lord. And I think it's really important for us as worshippers to have that healthy balance that we're both willing to to bow down, you know, when the Lord is present and, and worship him, but also to be disciplined and gracious and clear and and organized in our thoughts about serving God in every area of our life, to be willing to let the values of God percolate and permeate through everything that we do, working, playing, being at church, relationships, that we are constantly being called to be, as, as the scriptures say, to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, I really want to encourage us, encourage us all to be determined to be worshipers, both in the sense of people who bow down and adore the living God, uh, but also people who walk in the way of the Lord, who fear the Lord, who uh, serve the Lord our God, who love the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul. And also, as this passage implies, I'd encourage us to do it corporately, to do it together as a community, that we can ask together, how can we better serve the Lord? How can we care for the stranger? How can we care for the outcast, for the widow, for those who are abused, those who are being trafficked, those who don't have enough to live by, those whose hearts are broken, those who are dying, those who are isolated? How can we, how can we show the heart of God to people around us as a community together? This is actually a really beautiful community, and I've told you many times that whenever there's a survey done, our strongest attribute is practical love and care for one another. And uh, that's something that we need to just keep revitalizing and making it important as part of our life together that we show the values of the love of God in our relationships together. But here it is. I want to personally challenge each of us to to be committed to be lifelong worshipers, to be inviting the Holy Spirit of God to teach us how we can be more aligned with the heart of God and his character and how we can serve him more truly and with more integrity and consistency individually and as a community together all our days. Let me pray. I just invite the team to come up, the worship team as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love that you've revealed that love to us with such care over generations and generations and that it was particularly um, brought to us through Jesus Christ, that he showed us the Father, that he showed us your love, that he he broke down the walls that stood between us, Lord God, and you. And Lord, help us to be a passionate people, a worshipping people, a people who uh, are not ashamed to throw ourselves at the floor beneath your feet, Lord, uh, to acknowledge you and your grace, to adore you, 
as you deserve to be adored. But Lord, I pray also that we would be a people who are committed to serve you in our daily lives, that our time, that our energy, our effort, our finances, all that we are, the talents you've given us, the grace of community around us, our families, um, uh, who we are in this world, Lord, that we could consecrate and dedicate ourselves to you, to your glory. And Lord, I pray for a spirit of consecration to be upon this community, that this would be a church that loves to be committed to you, to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would just burn up the things that are not of you, that you would teach us how to set them aside and to cast them aside, to take up that cross that you spoke about and to follow you, Jesus, day by day to your glory. Amen. Lord, we're coming to you. We, we come to you. We seek the heart of worship that comes from your spirit, that the spirit calls to life within us. Come, Spirit of the living God, Spirit of worship, be present with us as we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand as we worship the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I just really feel in my heart that, yeah, God is saying to us to come. He's inviting us to come into his presence and to just, to just come and bring all that we have to him, to his feet. So I just invite you to do that. We welcome you in this place, Holy Spirit. 